kidding. Um, my name's Angela. I'm here on staff at First Assembly, and I think it's such a great turnout tonight on a holiday. So give yourselves a round of applause for showing up. So um, I was trying to figure out what to preach for tonight, and I'm just going to let you know I can tend to be a little bit sarcastic. So I feel like that might come out in, um, when I speak, so please have grace for me. I'm teasing. I love the disciples. You'll get it in a few minutes. But um, I'm going to have great conversations when I get with, to heaven and talk to them. So, um, okay, so I'm going to open up here, and uh, the title of my message is, Do You See the Miracle? That's the title. And um, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that this is the day that you have made. And I thank you for every individual that's in this room tonight. And I just pray that you open up our hearts, that we can hear from you clearly. And um, wherever we are at in life, God, I thank you that you meet us. And I pray tonight would be a marker for all these people in their journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the other day I was reading, um, doing my devotions in the morning, and I was reading a story out of Mark. And a lot of us, like, who have grown up in the church read these stories, like, all the time, and we get very familiar with these stories. I've heard them in Sunday school. I've read them a thousand times. And then when you read them, a certain phrase will pop out at you. Has that happened for some of you? Okay, good. And this this one morning, a phrase popped out at me, and it was like, okay, I never saw that before. Hmm. And when that usually happens, I have... Um, program myself to actually ask God, what are you trying to say in this moment to me? And this uh, topic is that he pointed out was about our hearts. And I spoke about, um, back in December, about our hearts and how healthy our hearts are, because it's the most important thing, I think, in our life with Jesus, how our hearts are doing. And in this phrase, it jumped out at me, and I was like, okay. And I'm also reading a book right now that's actually talking about our hearts, And it's an incredible book, and it's actually challenging me to the core, and it's kind of making me a little bit raw and emotional, because I've kind of started to, like, Jesus has been peeling off the layers of my heart, saying, okay, this is kind of, your mindset's a little bit wrong on this, or you've been taught wrong about this, and I want to set it straight. And so here he is, he shows me the scripture about our heart, I'm reading this book about our heart, and then he's like, now I want you to talk about it again on Monday. So it's great to be able to talk about your heart from a very raw state. So bear with me. Thanks, Jesus. Um, So the roadmap for tonight is I'm going to talk about one part, and then I'm going to talk about another part, and then I'm actually going to tie it together, and then hopefully make a picture for you, and hopefully you can receive it. But right now, in the part one, I'm going to read um, out of the scripture, so bear with me. We're going to plow through a lot of scripture right here, and then I'm going to talk about it. So um, in Mark 6, we get to know about, we've probably like read about Jesus a little bit, and we've heard, seen him do stories, tell stories, tell parables, healings, miracles, all that stuff. He's chosen his 12 disciples, and they've been able to walk with him and see what he's done. They've gotten familiar with him. And so then he thinks that they're ready to go out, and he sends them out two by two, and he says, I need you to go into the different towns, and I need you to go preach the gospel, I need you to cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, heal the sick. And it says that he imparts his authority into them to do this, which to me is another topic and another message that we could go on, but he does it. He thinks they're ready. 
But there's one thing that they have to do before they go is that they cannot bring anything with them. They can't bring money. They can't bring extra clothes, extra shoes. They have to go completely with trusting that God will provide for them. Now, a lot of us probably have a very difficult time doing that today when God calls us out to do something that's a little bit like, we can't bring money, we can't bring shoes, what? I went on a hike a couple weeks ago, and it was a four-day hiking trip, and I actually brought brought three pairs of shoes. (laughs) I used all of them, so don't judge me, but I bought hiking boots, Birkenstocks, and some slides, because you never know what you're going to need in the moment. And so this um, commission from Jesus probably wouldn't really work with me, but... It did with the disciples. So they go out. They have an amazing time. They come back to him, and they have all these testimonies to tell him. We had a great time. Um, The power was moving. People got healed, everything. So let's jump into Mark 6, uh, verse 34, because I'm going to read a lot here. This is in the Passion Translation, so if you have it, follow it along, or it'll be on the screen. By the time Jesus came ashore, a massive crowd was waiting At the sight of them, his heart was filled with compassion, because they seemed like wandering sheep who had no shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late that afternoon, his disciples said, it's getting really late, and we're here in the remote place with nothing to eat. You should send the crowds away so they can go into the surrounding villages and buy food for themselves. But he answered them, "Uh, you give them something to eat. I love the disciples' response here. Are you sure? Like, uh, you want to think that one through again, Jesus? And they say, um, you really want us to go buy them supper? It would cost a small fortune to feed all these thousands of hungry people. Apparently, it would have cost them eight months' wages. How many loaves of bread do you have, he asked them. Go and see. After they had looked around, they came back and said, five, plus a couple of fish. Then he instructed them to organize a crowd and have them sit down in groups on the grass. So they had them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Then Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, gazed into heaven, gave thanks, and broke the bread and distributed them to the disciples to serve to the people. And the food was multiplied in front of their eyes. Everyone had plenty to eat and was fully satisfied. Then the twelve disciples picked up what remained, and each of them ended up with a basket full of leftovers. Altogether, 5,000 families were fed that day. 5,000 families, average four people per family, that's 20,000 people. Jump down a little bit into Mark 6, verse 50. They were on a boat, and it started to like get stormy, and Jesus wasn't with them, and he could see that they were struggling. So he came over to them, and he said, but he said to them at once, don't yield to fear. Have courage. It's really me. I am. Then he came closer and climbed into the boat with them, and immediately the stormy wind became still. They were completely and utterly overwhelmed with astonishment because they failed to learn the lesson of the miracle of the loaves, and their hearts were unwilling to learn the lesson. Okay, that was not what jumped out to me when I read the scripture last week. Jump two chapters into Mark 8. Two chapters This is not 500 years. This is not years and years gone by. This is just two chapters. Mark 8, verse 1. During those days, another massive crowd gathered to hear Jesus. And again, there was no food, and the people were hungry. So Jesus called his disciples to come near him and said to them, My heart goes out to this crowd, for they've already been here with me for three days with nothing to eat. 
I'm concerned that if I send them home hungry, they'll be exhausted along the way. For some of them have come a long way just to be with me. Does anyone see a little test being set up? Okay. Uh, His disciples replied, but could anyone possibly get enough food to satisfy a crowd this size out here in this isolated place? I'm like, my favorite emoji is the eye roll emoji. And I guarantee you there is an eye roll emoji over Jesus in this moment. I'm like, um, I was reading this, and I was like, Jesus, do you want to pick your top 12 again? Because these guys are a little simple, it seems. So he asked them, how many loaves of flatbread have you got? Seven, they replied. Jesus instructed the crowd to sit down on the grass. After he took the seven loaves, he gave thanks to God, broke them, and started handing them to the disciples. They must have thought at this point something's familiar here. They kept distributing the bread until they had served the entire crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after giving thanks for these, Jesus and the disciples served the crowd. And everyone ate, was satisfied, and there was plenty of food left over. Jump Mark 8, 14. Now, Jesus had come across the Pharisees. They asked for a sign, and he um, gave them a great answer. And then it jumps into the, they were all in the boat, the Jesus and the disciples. And now the disciples had forgotten to take bread with them except for one loaf of flat bread. And as they were sailing across the lake, Jesus repeatedly warned them, warned them, be on your guard against the yeast inside the Pharisees and the yeast inside of Herod. And he was talking about hypocrisy. But the disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. And like, I get it. I probably wouldn't know what he was talking about in that moment either, but that's fine. Um, so they began to discuss among themselves saying, is he saying this because we forgot to bring bread? Knowing that, knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, Why all the fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Do you still not see or understand what I say to you? This is the part that got me a couple weeks ago. Are your hearts still hard? You have good eyes that you still don't see, and you have good ears yet you still don't hear. Neither do you remember. When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterward? Twelve, they replied. And when I multiplied food to feed over 4,000, how many large baskets of leftovers did you gather afterwards? Seven, they replied. Then how is it that you still don't get it? Now, previously, before Mark 6, there was another uh, sea story with Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus came and talked to the, the waves and the wind and calmed them. Another opportunity for the disciples to learn. So you have two boat scenes, and you have two feedings, and yet they missed it. And it kind of scares me, because I'm like, these guys were super close to Jesus. They walked with him. They were witnesses with their own eyes to the actual miracles and the provision and the wedding with the wine and everything like that. They had seen him multiply. Yet when they were actually in the scene of a miracle being a miracle happening, they didn't get it. And that actually scares me because, yeah, I walk with Jesus, but I don't witness all the stuff that he did with my very own eyes. So the summary of this section is when we don't learn the lesson the first time, God will always bring us through the lesson again. Because he needs us to learn, and it's for our growth. So sometimes God will bring the lesson around again if you don't learn it the first time. And is, is your heart still hard 
That's the key in the verse that God shows us why we don't learn things is because our heart can be hard. And our hearts determine how we see. And our hearts determine how we hear. And our hearts determine how we remember. Those men grew up knowing the stories of old, knowing the Old Testament. It was taught to them in the synagogues, in the temples. They got to know the stories of their generations. And they were very familiar, probably, with the Israelites wandering for 40 years. And when Jesus said to them, why, take courage, why are you fearing? I am. He was referring to his father who introduced himself to the Israelites in the Old Testament as I am. And the two big miracles of that season for the Israelites in the 40 years in the desert were the parting of the Red Sea. When they came out of slavery out of Egypt, God parted the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land. And the other one was manna from heaven. When they were starving, God rained down bread from heaven. So pardon me with wonders about these disciples. If they've learned these stories and it's ingrained in them, like these stories are ingrained in us, wouldn't it have triggered something in their memory being like, oh yeah, God parted the sea. Why wouldn't he calm the sea for me right now? Or there's a multitude of people that need food. Why wouldn't he rain down manna from heaven once again? So what was the lesson? Jesus wanted them to see who he was in difficult situations, what was available to them, how they could be used. He was trying to teach them his nature in that moment. And it's in miracles, the moment of miracles, the process of a miracle, that we get to see the nature of Jesus. And that was the lesson, I believe, for the disciples. That he will always provide. He is good. He is faithful. He cares. He has compassion. He can do the miraculous. He is more than enough. He's supernatural. And I also love in this scene how Jesus asks the disciples questions. Like, he includes them in the process of the miracle. He's like, hey, guys, we have hunger here. What should we do? And they think about their bank accounts, which is fine because we're earthly and we think about, like, our own, like, what we have to give. But Jesus was like, well, okay, that's a, probably an okay idea, but what if I just, like, multiplied some food and we distributed it? Wouldn't that be more fun? He wants them to be a part of the miracle. could easily have done it, but he partners with us. Jesus loves to partner with us in our life, in our miracles, in our process, in our journey. He's not like, I'm over here, I'll dictate to you, and you go. See, like, I always thought God was a dictator. I don't know why. It's just, like, the upbringing I had. And, like, he's like, Angela, this is what you're going to do with your life, and march along. Just do it. But I've come to realize in the last 10 years of my life that he is so much more about partnership and teaching me and growing me as a person than he is about me obeying a command. The other thing I love about Jesus is he actually prefers experience over head knowledge. See, head knowledge will only get you so far, but experience actually goes into your heart and shapes you and actually determines who you are as a person. See, Jesus always um, spoke to the heart rather than um, the head. That's why he confused so many people back in the day. He always confused the religious people because they thrived off of rules, off of the law, off of order. But Jesus is like, I'm actually going to bypass your mind and speak to your heart, and it's going to confuse you because you do not have a heart to see. So when we give our lives over to Jesus, we actually give him the ability to actually show us in our heart things that people with intellect and without a heart relationship with God can't see. 
And that is the beautiful thing about being in relationship with Jesus. Miracles are not always about the actual miracle. You know, some of us in this room are believing for a breakthrough, provision, jobs, um, even healing or um, people that have lost lives or just like that, just so much pain in our lives that we're believing for a breakthrough and a miracle. And that is, that's what God is in the business of doing, but he actually still loves the process to that miracle. He'll never negate that because he knows it's so important for us to be formed and fashioned after his character. So part two, we're going to talk about the heart for a second. So there's this show on Netflix that I loved, and I'm sad it's over because I plowed through it like in a day or two, and it's called The First Hour, and it's a medical documentary, and it's based out of London, and it follows paramedics and as they go to the scene of accidents. So it could be an accident like a car accident, a stabbing, a shooting, Um, this tree clipper fell out of a tree, this bull pinned a man against a wall and broke his chest. Um, Just like crazy stuff is happening. And it shows um, all these paramedics, these teams, and they actually travel with paramedic doctors, which I think is probably a good thing, um, to these scenes. And they are saying in the show, the premise of the show is the first hour of treatment after an accident happens determines if the person lives or dies. It's a fascinating show. If you don't like blood or guts or anything like that, don't watch it. I actually, side note, uh, my dad loved to watch surgery shows. So as kids, we would watch these surgery shows with my dad. And it was like back in the 90s, so like nothing was glamorous. It was very like, like university type. And I still have no idea why my dad was like, girls, surgery's on, let's watch it. I still actually remember the knee surgery show. I don't know why the knee one stuck out, but I'm just fascinated by it. So thanks, Dad. Anyway, so this show is, like, so cool. I love it. And as I'm watching it, and it's showing the process of the paramedics showing up at the scene, treating the people within the first hour, and then transporting them to the hospital, and then that team supporting them, and then whether the people live or die, they interview the people. And for the most part, people live. So it's, it is an encouraging show at the end. But I'm just... I was just listening to the show, and of course, I like switch everything to be like super spiritual. And I'm like, hmm, sounds very interesting about our own personal lives, our hearts. So when things happen to us that are painful, or rejection, or um, like brokenness, uh, death, anything like that that would can traumatize us, what we do within the first hour will determine the health of our heart. And it really shocked me because I've like, there's some times where you just want to run away and cry and pretend nothing happened. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm good. But then I think a hardness starts to happen in your heart when you don't deal with it. And there's this one story in the show where this man was stabbed a few times and he was brought into the hospital and they scanned him and they said, oh, this, this wound on this side actually punctured his lung. So we, so they supported the lung and they got him better and and the other wounds, they, had, they looked at them and they thought they were superficial. And the man continued to grow in pain. And so they kind of tired to look and they're like, oh, but, and he said, it's like, this side is hurting. And they did more scans and they finally saw that his chest cavity was actually filling up with blood because the wound went further than they thought and it nicked an organ and he was bleeding. And the doctor said, you know, sometimes we look at the wounds 
and we determine if they're superficial or not. But it's only when we do the scan and we search further that we see that a wound actually goes deeper. And if we never had treated it, he would have bled out and died. And so a lot of us can look at things that happen to us in our lives and be like, oh, that was superficial, I'll get over it, it doesn't matter, it was a little hurt. But sometimes you don't know how deep that wound goes. And you need to actually go to Jesus and have him look at that wound and let you know what's going on. No matter what your pain is, no matter what your emotion is, just to turn your heart towards Jesus and bring it to him will do you so much goodness. It says in Mark 3 that it grieves Jesus when our hearts are hard. It grieves him. It doesn't anger him. It grieves him. There's a difference. It breaks his heart when our hearts are hard. And I believe it's because it makes us unwilling to participate in his kingdom. Or it limits us from participating in his work. Because we can't see, because our heart is broken. You know when you get a paper cut and like it's the worst wound in the world? Because all the blood is rushing to it and it's all you think about? It makes you internal. It makes you just focus on that little wound. And that's like our hearts when we don't deal with it and it can, it can like start throbbing and we become internal. Whereas Christians, we're supposed to look outwards. And that's why I feel like it grieves Jesus is because he wants us to learn to be willing to be used by him. He wants us to learn to trust him. But you can't trust when your heart is hard and there's a barrier there. David in the Bible, was a man that I feel had learned what to do when things were tough. He always went to God in worship. He always went to God with praise because he knew that by setting himself up in worship with God after a a traumatic experience, it actually postured his heart to be healed. In Psalm 1824, it says, I have kept my integrity by surrendering to him. I think we could just camp on that for a bit. I'll say it one more time. I have kept my integrity by surrendering to him. That goes deep. And so the Lord has rewarded me with his blessing. This is the treasure I discovered when I kept my heart clean before his eyes. Lord, it is clear to me now that how we live will dictate how you deal with us. And I kind of translated it. Deal with us always has like a negative feel to it, like punishment. But I translated it to this. How I keep my heart dictates how you will use me. The scripture implies that we must spend more time with Jesus. And when you spend more time with Jesus, you listen to his teachings, you listen to his parables, you see his healings, his miracles, his supernatural ways. It is bound to soften your heart. It is bound to make your heart start breathing and becoming alive. And this is, this is what kind of shocked me, though, with the disciples, is because they actually hung out with Jesus all the time, and yet they still didn't see what he was doing. And so we're not immune to that, right? We're just like, we're not on the same like, earth as Jesus right now. So I believe when you push yourself towards God during tough seasons, you actually are cultivating a healthy heart to see the kingdom of God in your life. If our hearts are hard and hurting, then we actually see God through our pain, 
And then we may display and share God in an unhealthy way with others. And that, that frightens me because I've done that before. <laughs> I thought God was this dictator and so of course that's how I communicated him to others. But over the years I have trained myself to actually turn my heart towards God when things happen to me. This last two weeks have been a very emotional week for me. Just little things were popping up, and God was showing me things. And he's so kind to show you things, but sometimes they all come at once. And you're like, really? You couldn't have paced it out a little? And so this last couple weeks, I've just been an, an emotional roller coaster within my heart. Hopefully I don't. I'm not that way at work. But um, he's been challenging me on so many things about the idea of risking, how I love to be in control of things in my life. I grew up in a very, like, um, I didn't grow up in a military family, but I, it could have been a military family. It's very, like, orderly and controlled. So that's how I learned to thrive, was in order and control. But the Lord has been really challenging me lately that he might be soon moving that around and kind of causing a little disruption. That's fun. And... Um, but I have learned to trust him, and I have learned to rely on him. Even though I am wrestling with him on it, it is good for me. It is good for my heart. More than anything, I want my heart to be soft. I want it to be usable. I want it to be moldable. I don't want to have a hard heart. And if a hard heart determines how you see, it's the last thing I want. So let's bring it all together, these two parts. So do you see the lesson of the miracle of the loaves and the fish and also the sea? Wherever story you're in, do you, do you know the lesson? What would God be speaking to you in those moments? I put myself in that story as I was prepping this message. I was the 13th disciple. And I... I was there at the scene with Jesus, and I was like, okay, what is Jesus trying to teach me in this story? Because if the disciples didn't get it, gosh, I hope I do. And so what it was for me personally was this, was that Jesus wanted to include me in a miracle. He wanted to use my giftings and my talents in this miracle. And as a good friend and a teacher and a brother, he doesn't want to do it on his own. See, sometimes we're really used to type A personalities that come in, see the plan, do it, and everybody follows because they have this, like, five-step plan, and it works really good. But I don't actually feel like Jesus is that way. He's very inclusive. He asks the questions, hey, what do you think we should do? He wants you to be a part of his story. He knew that experience would go into my heart rather than a verbal lesson. He is more than enough. He always satisfies, and he overflows. He taught me in this story that he's the provider. He also taught me that he has compassion on all of those people, that he sees the need, and he doesn't send us away to find the answer. He actually is the answer. See, the disciples wanted to send the people away to go find food in, this, in the city and to go like empty their bank accounts which was kind of them. But Jesus was like, actually, I saw their need and I'm going to be the answer for it. He doesn't send us away to find our own help. He is the helper. He showed me to trust him. And he allows the wrestle of conversation. 
And I love this. I actually, this is probably one of my favorite parts about God's nature is the wrestling. Um, Wrestling is such a, a, when you think about the story of Jacob, like God allowed him to wrestle and then eventually Jacob had to surrender. But wrestling is an okay thing to do in your faith. It is such a natural part of your faith is to wrestle with God when you have questions and you don't have answers. He, he welcomes the wrestles, the wrestling. He's not insecure. He's not going to be like, oh, gosh, like, I hope they can handle it. He's like, no, wrestle with me. Know why you know. Believe what you believe. And so that's the one thing. He's like, these, these disciples were like, oh, no, but we think we should do it that way. And God's like, actually, no, I have a better way for you. And that is the beautiful part about wrestling in conversation. And the last thing I learned about this, and I hope the disciples learned this too, is that if you don't learn a lesson the first time, the kindness of God will always bring you back through to learn it again. So you don't have to worry. He's going to teach you whether you want it or not. (laughs) Because he wants to develop fruit in your life. Now, Jesus knew in that moment, I think, I'm not a scholar, so forgive me, but he's God, so I think he would know, but he knew in that moment that he would be departing soon, that he would be leaving the earth. And so I feel that there was an urgency in him to actually develop um, the character and and the faith and the trust in his disciples, because they were going to be the people that were going to start moving in the earth with his power. And I feel as though he needed to teach them the heavenly way, the kingdom culture, the spiritual aspect of himself because he would be leaving and then they would be moving to start the church and the church who we are today. See, we have to be people of kingdom mindsets. When there's a miracle happening, we have to tune in with our eyes, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears. And we have to think the way that Jesus is thinking in the moment. A lesson isn't just for me when I learn something. It's not just for me. A lot of us think that way because we're in it, but it's actually not just for you. My lesson that I learn is actually for Danielle, for Claire, for Jeremiah, for Michael, and then they are going to take that on, and then they're going to share it with someone else. See, the lessons we learn are for the next people. It's actually for the next generations. That's the kingdom of God. He always thinks next generation for the generations to come. These lessons right here that the disciples were learning, we are still benefiting from them today. That's how God works. And so when we become selfish and we become internal, that's not God. The kingdom is the next generation. How can we set up the next group of people that's coming to actually for them to succeed and to do wonders and work miracles on the earth? As an administrative person, I love that Jesus had the disciples administrate the the miracle. They had to give out the bread. They had to give out the fish. But it was multiplying in their hands. And miracles reveal the nature of Jesus. That's the lesson. So if the band can come up. Jesus wanted to teach these men. He wants to teach you and he wants to teach myself the nature of himself, and to have the experience actually transform our hearts so that that's the place that we operate from. These men became world changers. And I don't say that like with a Christian-y like, 
tone, like, oh, be a world changer, you're a history maker. (laughs) No, I actually believe it. If you hold the kingdom of God inside of you, you actually have the potential to impact this world. Because the kingdom of God is bigger than you and it's bigger than me, but it actually has the ability to create, it actually has the ability to bring life, to set people's hearts on fire. And so if that's resting inside of you, you have every potential to change the place around you. And that's why Jesus was so about lessons being learned, because he knew what we would carry inside of us and what the potential of that was and is. Now, some of you are sitting here going, oh my gosh, what lesson have I failed? (laughs) What lesson have I yet to learn? What lesson have I missed? And you don't need to worry about it because that's not, there's no condemnation with God. He will always bring you back through. A lot of us think that Christianity is like a straight road. I believe it's a circle. Our lives are like always going around and we're always learning. And the beauty of failing, if you have failed your lesson, I think for me, the beauty when I fail is that I always tend to remember it better. See, sometimes when you get it right the first time, you're like, yeah, I got it right, and you brush it off. But when you fail, you kind of take it to heart a little bit, and you're going you're gonna to be prone to actually remember it a lot better than you were if you passed it the first time. So I think failure is beautiful. So where are you right now? What miracle, what lesson are you in? Are you learning? Or are you unwilling to learn the lesson like the disciples? Unwilling is a choice. And they actually chose not to learn. Until Jesus said, it's your heart. Your heart's the issue. It's hard. Let's work on it. Let's heal your heart. Remember, your heart determines how you see. It determines how you see God. There are a lot of us in this room that are going through amazing things and difficult things, and God is in every situation. And I wouldn't beat yourself up You know, the disciples got it wrong, David got it wrong, I get it wrong, a lot of people get it wrong, but there is so much mercy and grace from God, and he loves it that we are willing to learn. You know, with my heart, I, you know, I have, I just love the heart, I really do. I could talk about heart issues all day long. Because I truly believe it says out of it springs life. And you can always see how people are doing by the fruit of their life. If there's doubt, if there's bad choices. And I, I have people in my life right now that are, are not making the best choices for their life. And I'm not judging them. It's just lining up with God's word. And, my, and I never go to them and say, you know, like, why are you making that choice? Like, that's a stupid choice. But God has actually told me to say to people, what's going on with your heart? Because that's the root. That's the root of life, is your heart. And so my hope for you 
is that you get to see and you get to hear and you can remember. See, Jesus challenged them on remembering. A hard heart doesn't remember because you can't take anything in because there's a wall up. But when your heart is soft, you can actually receive. And when you see things, it goes in. It plants itself. It grows. There's, there's growth. There's life. My heart for you guys tonight and forever <laughs> is that you would actually be willing to learn what God wants to teach you. We're all going to learn things differently and at different times and different paces. But my heart is that you would have a heart to receive what he has for you. And that, you know, sometimes I feel an urgency in the earth because I'm like, oh my God, like we need you more than ever. Like I don't want people to fall away and I feel this urgency. And so I say this with urgency to you, learn, be willing to open your heart and ask God, what are you trying to show me? Because he needs you. He needs healthy hearts to administrate what he wants on this earth. He, has, he needs healthy people to actually show his wonders and his goodness and his provision and his nature. And so it's a, it's a weighty urgency, but it's an exciting one because it's walking with God and it's excitement. And it's beautiful and it's full of love and grace and mercy and care. So I'd ask you all to stand, please. So whether you're in the boat, whether you're coming back from the town having displayed God's wonders, or whether you are um, one of the people waiting to be fed by the fish and the bread, or you are one of Jesus' sidekicks, ready to help him in the miracle. I'd ask you right now to posture your heart before the Lord and ask him where you're at in the story. Ask him, Lord, is my heart hard in any way? I've had to pray that prayer this week because my heart has been hard in certain areas out of fear and out of hurt and out of fear of being rejected or you can name it. So God, I pray for every person in this room right now. I ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts by your miraculous power. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move among this room, move among all the people here, and that you would breathe on their hearts. And that you would reveal to them if there's any place in their heart where they cannot see you, where they cannot hear you, and where they cannot remember of your goodness. Shine a light, God, I pray, on every heart in this room. I pray, God, that you would actually teach us how to learn a lesson, how to learn what you want to show us, be willing to learn. I pray that we have soft hearts, God, that you can actually implant into our hearts seeds for growth. I thank you, God, that you are bringing everybody on a journey, and there's grace, and there's kindness, and there's love. But there's also probably some major eye rolls, <laughs> with us and a little bit kick in the butt just like come on guys let's go let's get it so wherever we are at in the story in the journey God I pray that you would actually reveal it to us that you would speak to us where we're at 
so that we can actually go out and do the signs and the wonders and the healings and the miracles and the salvations that you have commissioned us to do, that you have imparted your authority in us to do. God, I pray because our identity is rooted in that, that that is what our call is. So Lord, as we go into a time of worship and as we lift your name up high, God, I pray that our hearts would start to move those dead areas in our lives, God, that we have let die because of hurt and because of pain and because we don't want to deal with it. God, I pray that you would come in and breathe on them and that you would establish your word and your truth within us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you're so kind to be patient with us as we learn. You are so good, God. Amen. So as we worship, just, I think I was asking the Lord what he wanted to do at the end of the service, and I really truly feel like it's just a conversation with him, because he's going to highlight to you guys what areas of your life he wants to work on and he wants to teach you. And, And the beautiful thing is, when he said to the disciples, like, your eyes are blind, like you can't see, you have eyes, but you can't see. The next chapter, it's they're actually going out to heal a blind man. So once you get a healing and once your eyes open, you're kind of commissioned now to go do that for other people. So take that. <laughs> but yeah, so just worship the Lord, love him, um, accept what he has to say to you because it's all goodness.